Deep dive into the world of science with Nature Plus. From the vastness of the distant star systems to the intricacies of infectious diseases due to climate change, we've got you covered. Enjoy access to over 55 cutting-edge journals, breaking scientific news, and over a 1,000 new articles every month. Whether you're a seasoned researcher or just curious, Nature Plus simplifies complex studies. Plus, it's all available right at your fingertips on nature.com. Nature Plus, the key to unlocking the world's most significant scientific advances. Subscribe today at go.nature.com slash plus. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. Entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies, there's some new unknowns, and we've got a vaccine. Hello, and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker, and joining me this week is veteran reporter and author David Adam. David, how are you? Hello, well, thanks. So, this is the first Coronapod of the year. And we've had a little bit of a break. And as often happens over the holiday period, we've done a little bit of reflecting. And we're going to start with a story which is, I suppose, a kind of a sombre reflection for the first Coronapod of 2022. And that's all about how to measure the true mortality impact of the pandemic. So essentially, how many people have died, what the death toll is. Now, you might imagine on sort of first glance, this is a kind of a simple thing to say, count it up, that's it. But it's incredibly complicated to work out. And the true number, which is what you discuss and what we'll discuss in this Coronapod, may well be significantly different to the official number that you might be reading in the news every day. Can you give us just an overview to start with of why it's so complicated to count a death toll? It's complicated because you don't know if you've caught everybody. So it's quite easy to count a almost a minimum number, but it's very, very difficult to count almost a maximum number, especially because in many countries there aren't people who count mortality from any cause, never mind from COVID. Uh, they don't publish routinely statistics on, on how many people die. And so to be able to come up with an accurate global toll, you almost have to add up lots of different ways of doing it. It seems straightforward, but actually to make a reliable number, which includes everybody who has died of this, it's effectively impossible. I mean, they're doing their best, but it's, it's the number that they get will almost certainly be wrong. And, and I think we're going to talk about some of the ways that researchers are going about trying to get to a number as it stands, the current kind of official death toll, I suppose, that comes from countries that do report deaths, if you sum them all up, sits at around five and a half million at time of recording. Now, to what extent that number is correct, as you say, is really influenced by a lot of things. So even countries that are reporting death tolls, you know, that are reporting 
the number of their citizens that have died with COVID-19 are doing it in very different ways. So you mentioned in your feature that even in Europe, the Netherlands and Belgium, neighbouring countries, define what a COVID death is in different ways. In the Netherlands, people that died in hospital after a COVID diagnosis were, were written down, whereas in Belgium, people who died after having symptoms of COVID were written down as a COVID death, even if it was never a confirmed COVID death. So there's just a lot of apple and oranges situations here. And that's before you even get to countries like India or China that don't routinely report these statistics. That's that's exactly it. And it's important to say as well that even within countries, it's changed over time. So the situation we, we were describing there with the Netherlands and Belgium was back in the days when there were very few tests around. Now, it's much easier to diagnose people of having COVID. So I, th- I think the ways that some countries have classified who is a COVID death have, have evolved over time as well. So, yeah, I think if we, if we break it down, so there are some countries, so the UK and the US are among them, which have very good collection of, of what they call vital statistics. So, so who dies and where and when? And those are collected and those are published routinely. Now, with COVID, they kind of short-circuited that process and, and they produce updates of COVID deaths more frequently. But what is a COVID death? So there's a big debate about whether people die of COVID or with COVID. There's also what people would describe as almost sort of indirect impacts of the pandemic. You know, if you're forced to wait outside hospital in an ambulance because the hospital emergency ward is full of COVID patients and and you've had a car accident, then you might die because of because of the pandemic, because the hospitals are full, even though you haven't, you've never actually caught COVID. So there are all these sort of conflicting factors. But I think from talking to scientists who, who are trying to work this out, the bottom line seems to be that, generally speaking, the official statistics produced by countries are a kind of a minimum. And they will miss death for all sorts of reasons, partly because people aren't diagnosed, partly because... Um, there's just confusion or uh, in some countries, you know, actually reporting the deaths can take so long that they're not included in the, in the official figures when they're released. Yeah, and all of this can throw doubt on official figures, even from countries that really, really diligently collect them. But there are other metrics that can be used other than, you know, the number of people who died with COVID-19 written on their death certificate. Tell us about what other kinds of data are used. So they use this idea called excess deaths which essentially is, instead of trying to look at individual COVID deaths as reported by governments, these people look at the total deaths. And it's pretty hard to miss a death in the UK or the US. You know, it, it's very rare. They usually report it and they usually report it pretty, pretty timely. So what, the, what this excess death means is that you would look at the number of people that you would expect to die in, a, in an average year, um, and you can do that in various ways, but one of them is, is to compare, say, to an average of the last five years, and that's of all-cause mortality, so people dying of everything in that country. And then you look at how many people have died of everything uh, this year and last year, and it's higher, usually, because of the COVID pandemic. Now, even that isn't as simple as it sounds, because you also have to take things off. Like, there have been hardly any flu deaths, for example, in the UK because all of the measures that we take to protect against COVID also protect very well against flu. So um, the the expected deaths include a certain number of thousand flu deaths that perhaps haven't happened. But equally, perhaps those people who would have died of flu have died of COVID. 
they just caught COVID instead or before flu. So, so even those countries where we have really good all mortality numbers, it's pretty difficult to reliably say we know that this many people have died of COVID. And that's before we even talk about countries where they either um, don't produce any official statistics at all, either from COVID or from all-cause mortality, or the official statistics are a bit iffy, frankly, almost certainly too low. It's mind-boggling how complicated this gets when you start pulling on these threads. I think we'll go on to talk about some of those countries where they either don't report or the numbers don't seem to add up based on what we would expect. But before we do, one thing I wanted to bring up just as an example of how complicated this can get is to do with the adjustments that need to be made when you're looking at excess deaths. So, for example, in a population like the UK, where the population is ageing, the average age of the population is getting higher year on year because people are living longer and fewer children are being born, you would expect the average number of deaths each year to go up a bit because more and more of our population are older and so you'd expect a higher percentage of people to be dying. And that's the kind of thing you need to try to adjust for because it might skew your data significantly if you see that in 2021 more people died than you'd expect over the previous five years. Part of that change could be just because people are older. But again, it's really hard to assess for each individual country, which might have a different rate of ageing a population or a population that's not ageing at all, which percentage of that change could be because of that versus COVID versus the lack of flu deaths versus lack of car crashes, which was something that was mentioned early on during lockdowns, for example. There were a reduction in the number of people that were dying because of road traffic incidents. I mean, the number of variables is just truly mind boggling. It is. And and they all kind of interact with each other as well. And I'm sure there are more that we haven't mentioned there. You know, pretty much any time you think, okay, we've got a handle on this, someone could say, ah, but have you thought about that? Yeah. Okay, so excess deaths are one other way of trying to count mortality. And in many ways, it's a good way to do it. There are difficulties, but you can make relatively good assumptions. But let's get into the really, really thorny situation of how do you try to predict the number of people that have died as a result of the pandemic when they those numbers are not reported or are not reported in a timely way. We'll, we'll get to the numbers that look a bit iffy in a minute, but perhaps let's start with how do you get a sum from a country that is just not really giving those data at all? You can do it in, in a few ways. So we're, we're talking about they're not giving national data. Now, some countries do provide local data, provincial data. So maybe in some of the less developed countries, there's no way of tracking deaths in the rural areas, but maybe you've got a you know, you've got a figure for for the capital city. Then you get sort of get into into modelling and extrapolation, and you have to make some assumptions. So if you can assume, of course you can't really, but let's say you can assume that everyone in the whole country dies in similar patterns to people in the capital city, then you can kind of extrapolate. Okay, there's two million people living in the capital city. There's ten million people living in the whole country. Therefore, let's say the total deaths for the whole country are maybe five times what we see in the capital city. Now, that's quite crude, but that's the principle, that you can do that. Another way to do it is just to go out and try and find and find data rather than waiting for it to come to you. So there are people who can... You can do it through surveys. You can, there's a lot in India. You can just knock on people's doors. You can ask them about the health of their families and deaths and people they know who've died, and you can build up a picture that way um, just from going door to door and actually asking people... And then you can also look at things like how many graves have been dug or, or people have been buried in, in fresh graves. 
and they've done that in places like um, Yemen. Not for the whole country, but again, for particular regions. Yeah, the list of things that, that researchers are trying to do to just get any semblance of data all the way through to satellite images of graves is really quite amazing and creative in many ways. But there are some situations where there just isn't any data that they can really get at all. And that's where people have to turn to some really clever computer modelling. Now, models can often be quite hard to get our head around. So give us a kind of hypothetical example about how a computer model could help you make predictions of death when you have no data at all. Let's, let's say there's a country like, I'm making this up now, but let's say Senegal, and you don't have any information for Senegal. But you might say, we do have figures for, again, making this up, Romania. And actually, Romania has a very similar population uh, density to Senegal, perhaps. Maybe it has a very similar average death rate of, of respiratory diseases. So, again, making this up. But you can get data that you do have and you can feed in all the things that you think might be relevant. So the amount of money you spend on healthcare, the number of doctors everyone has access to, the average age of the population, the average sort of connectivity of a population, how much do people mix, you know, how rural is it, how, how urban is it, all these things. And you can ask a computer model, AI essentially, the reasons why it thinks these countries for which you know the death rate, why is that? You know, so, so here's 100 countries, we know how many people died, we know all those things about them, all those features that we described. Let the computer work out the relationship between the most important what they call indicators in a country and the output which is their deaths from, from COVID, or indeed sometimes all-cause mortality. And then you can then say to the computer, OK, here's a new country... We don't have any data for it, but we do know that it has these indicators. So we know what the average age of death is in Senegal, for example. Uh, we know what the um, percentage of population who live in an urban environment is, for example. The computer has, has found a clever way of connecting these country indicators with the death toll. So these are the country indicators for Senegal, how many people died. And the computer will, will model that and it will give you an answer. Now the answer comes with a large error on it because you're making assumptions and you're making assumptions about all sorts of things and because of that you're uncertain. You introduce uncertainty at every step which means the error bars just get wider and wider and wider the more you diverge from what you actually know and in fact we spoke to some people who are actually doing this modelling work who say it's pretty much impossible you know if you don't have any data at all for a country then it's very difficult to sort of pin these models down but people are doing it and they are getting results and they are getting numbers and they do come with large error bars but in almost all cases the numbers that they're getting are higher than the official covid death toll which kind of makes sense because for a lot of countries the official covid death toll is zero not because anyone's claiming that nobody's died, but because they haven't counted them for all the reasons that we've talked about. Right, absolutely. So in this situation with the computer model, you're using the fact that there are countries where we have quite a lot of data and we do have a relatively reliable COVID death toll. And you ask a computer to sort of analyse all of these different indicators of health in a country from wealth to connectivity to everything to try to work out how the death toll in that country is related to those indicators and then you use those indicators which you're more likely to be able to get hold of for countries that aren't counting deaths 
you might be more likely to get hold of things like how many people live in a rural area and you ask for a prediction based on that. Now, there's one really big flaw to that approach, which is that countries that do have a lot of data also tend to be relatively wealthy countries and perhaps the way that all of those things interact in a wealthy country might be entirely different to a country that has less money or perhaps lives in an entirely different climate. I mean, there's so many other variables and there are some statisticians that are throwing doubt over this approach just fundamentally at all. Yes, exactly. And and, and it often is for that reason, because um, the way that people live and the way that people die um, in, in a rich country like the UK could be could be too different to the way that people live and the way that people die in a developing country for a computer to map. You know, the connections that it's finding might be spurious. We, we don't always know what these what these connections are and, and how they relate. Um, and, and this is why a lot of people say that if you don't have any data at all from, from a country or in terms of actual deaths, um, it's very difficult to do this. And, and in fact, when, when they do this modelling, the moment they do get any data from a country which they didn't have data from before, it's actually the error bars shrink considerably. It's really quite interesting to see. It's just because the computer has something solid to work with. There are graphs in your feature. I'd recommend people go and have a look at them. I'll put a link in the show notes, which show just how big these errors are. And it's interesting, again, to see the errors from different parts of the world, where you look at wealthy countries where these errors are very, very small because there is so much data. And then you go to low-income countries where the errors are absolutely ginormous. But in so many cases, the official stat, the official line on a graph is below even the lowest bound of the error bars on these kind of modelled outcomes. And that kind of raises a lot of questions, especially for countries like Russia, perhaps, or China. Yeah, so this doesn't necessarily mean that there's been deliberate deceit or that anyone's hiding anything. This is based on data which governments produce routinely and what they're willing to give out. And as we've mentioned, a lot of it is too low because it's too slow. You know, these countries just takes them time to collate and to publish this information, which can be six months or, you know, a year behind actual real time. That's important to say that this attempt to do the overall mortality is trying to do it in real time. How many people have died up to now? You know, in, in 10 years, 20 years' time, I imagine we'll be able to do a much better job of looking back and saying how many people died overall. Um, and, of course, it's not over yet. The, the number, unfortunately, is going to be increasing every day, and we know that. But let's let's take, for example, uh, Russia, because you mentioned it. So so the official COVID death toll from Russia is 300,000 uh, to the end of last year, which is a lot of people. You know, it's twice what I think it is over here in the UK. But now this wasn't actually modelled, as far as I understand it. This is just looking at the total deaths reported in Russia for last year, there's there's a gap there which cannot be explained unless you assume that another 700,000 people have died of COVID, which means that like a million people in Russia have died of COVID. But those deaths are... They're not missing because somebody has died of something somewhere, but they don't appear in the official statistics. Now, the, who knows why that is? It could be that they that Russia thinks we don't want to admit it. It could be. It could be that people are being misdiagnosed. It could be because there's just a big delay in getting this information together. It could be because some information went missing. It went just data was lost. Results were lost. Uh, we don't know. What we do know is that about a million more people 
in Russia have died than you would have expected to have died. Now, maybe something else has happened that we don't know about. Maybe there's a, another secret problem going on in Russia, which is killing lots of people and they've managed to cover up. I mean, it's very unlikely. But something has killed an extra 700,000 people in Russia in 2021 is, is essentially what these scientists are saying. And they attribute that to COVID. Absolutely. Now, the way that you can try to get around these various discrepancies with models, the way that modelers would get around them, is to run lots of different models that work in slightly different ways and compare all the results and compare the errors. And that has happened. There are various groups around the world that are trying to do this, either modelling or trying to better understand excess death and how that might relate to COVID as well. And they are giving ranges of answers one of the groups that's doing this is actually a journalistic group, which is The Economist magazine in the UK. Yeah, so when we talked about the indicators from various countries, that's what they're doing, essentially. They've got probably the most complicated model. Um, I think they use over 100 different country indicators, but they are reliant on, on data of, of real deaths to feed into that model. So they are, although their model is very clever, it's only as clever as the data that you have to give it to work with. And, and that was one of the examples I talked about. They have some countries where they have received data. One, I was reporting this piece and you could see that when data are provided, the uncertainties in that estimate, that modelled estimate, comes right down because I guess the computer model is just a bit happier that it's working with information that it's more familiar with. So if we look at a couple of the different excess death studies or the models that have been done, give us a sense of how out of step the confirmed official statistics are. OK, so so you mentioned at the beginning, I think, the confirmed official COVID deaths, I think, from the WHO, are about five and a half million. Now, I think everybody would agree that that number is too low. I mean, and that's not a conspiracy theory. That is just the fact that half the countries in the world do not produce any COVID data. So the official death toll, five and a half million, According to The Economist magazine, which, as I said, is probably the most sophisticated model, within 12 million and 22 million people have died. So that is between two and almost four times as many. Now, we've talked about that range. With something like The Economist, for example, that's a magazine and there's lots of data scientists working on this very sophisticated model. But then they're publishing stories based on the results they're getting here. And there are scientists that are questioning the sort of ethics of, of taking numbers from this model and then presenting them, even if they present them with error bars. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, scientists, people who listen to this pod, hopefully, would understand the meaning of uh, the, the need for these uncertainties and these error bars. But it's kind of human nature, I think, to look for the middle ground and say, OK, so you mean between 12 and 22, you mean 17 million, don't you, really? So 17 million people have died. And then you kind of reify these figures and then you start saying, well, that's terrible. 17 million people have died, you know. And in each iteration, in each way that these data are used, some of the uncertainty gets sort of lost and some of the uh, subtlety gets lost and the political meaning of that number becomes more important and becomes ultimately out of tune with, I think, the context in which it was produced, put it that way. So, so yeah, I think some people start at the, the, at the end and say, well, look, what's, what's being done with these data is not ethical. Therefore, creating that data is not ethical. And I think other people would say, well, there is just a demand for this. Someone somewhere is going to produce this kind of number. And I actually spoke with one very senior modeler who, who's involved with one of these efforts. And he said, you know, I 
I didn't want to do it. I told them I didn't want to do it. I told them it couldn't be done. And then it became clear that they were going to do it anyway. And in which case, well, if anyone's going to do it, then I'm going to do it because I know more about it than, than these other people. And I think everybody who looks at this information and uses this information has to take on board the uncertainties that are involved. And I think, to be fair, most people, most people get it. It's just that when it comes to making political points one way or the other about the performance of a certain country or the relative performance of certain countries or parts of the world, then, you know, there are people who will deliberately misuse figures. I mean, for example, so the, so the counter-argument is that because if you look at a map of official COVID deaths, a lot of African countries have zero official COVID deaths. Now, we know, as we've discussed, that's because they don't count and report these deaths. But there are some people, on you know, you'll never believe it, on the internet, who will say... Ah, look, Africa's immune. They don't need our vaccines, they don't need our aid. They're fine, they're doing fine. And and so, I mean, clearly nonsense. But but to, one way of challenging that is to say, well, actually, no, here are some modelled estimates for how many people have actually died in these countries. Just to try and shake that narrative story a little bit and just to try and reveal some of the weaknesses in it. But to, to get to a position where you can challenge that, I think you need to use science. Otherwise, you are just, just guessing or pulling numbers out of the air. Absolutely. You find yourself in a position where you're either modelling a number with a huge variability with lots of assumptions, which somewhere within there is, the, is a true number, or using an official number, which we know to be wrong categorically. And that is a kind of a, it's a rock and a hard place to be stuck between, you know, and I suppose that's why trying to talk about these things as openly as you can in places like Coronapod becomes important to try to really emphasise the importance of understanding the variability and the limitations of these studies, but also understanding why they're important and why they're necessary. And to be fair, everybody from The Economist down, when you talk to them, they all stress the uncertainty. They all say, you know, you must take this into account, you must take that into account, you look at the graphs on the website... The error bar is very evident. So no one, I don't think anybody is is concealing that. It's just that once it, once that information becomes free and it can get to get it to used in different ways by different people, then it can become divorced from, from that kind of scientific caution. Now, these models, as time goes on, as more data does start to appear, or as data that was perhaps just taking a long time to come through, um, arrives from countries that are perhaps gathering it more slowly. The hope is that these models will get more and more accurate. Those error bars will go down because more data becomes available and a more informed model is able to make more accurate predictions. Do these models go forward? Um, do they predict forward to work out how many people might eventually die from COVID-19? They can be used in that way. And in fact, so one of the models we haven't talked about yet is produced by the IHME in Seattle. If you look on their website, and people can go and do that now, it does project forwards. And in not only that, it allows you to look at the impact of various policies. So I mean, these are changing all the time, so I'm, I don't quite know what they are now. In recent times, they've had things like a new variant, which is more infectious than others. You can see the number go up. If lots of people wear masks in particular situations, you can see the number go down. So absolutely, they can be used to project forward. You know, you mentioned that in the future, when we look back, we might have a better idea of how many people ultimately were 
were killed as a result of the pandemic because with hindsight it's 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 easier to get a grasp of these numbers is that true of previous pandemics as well things like the one pandemic that has been compared to over and over again which was the 1918 flu pandemic uh, yeah we still don't know and, and in fact one demographer said to me that it was a source of great sort of um misery for him because he always assumed that by the time the next pandemic did come that we would know because people always ask him how many people died in the 1918 flu. I don't say we don't know, but he said, "Well, we don't. We're not going to know." And it's and it's a great shame, because a lot of the issues that we're facing now were magnified back then. You know, even fewer countries collected data. The data was harder to, and, and there was a lot. You know, there was a lot going on in 1918. <laughs> so it, perhaps it wasn't a priority counting how many people had had died of the flu, or, or even distinguishing those people. This is and will continue to be an extraordinarily complicated demography problem. I think it's also worth mentioning before we finish that this is also complicated in another way. We've been talking kind of matter-of-factly about deaths, but what we're talking about here is is the loss of people. And we need to, I think, also acknowledge the tragedy. That's one of the motivations. One way that we as people try and make sense of tragedies is to, is to quantify and understand them. And I think that that's that's driving a lot of the scientists here because we really want to do try and and get a reliable sense of of just what what was in the scale, I suppose, of that tragedy and 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 the scale of the suffering and and of course every one of these deaths is leaves leaves a hole and and I think uh, you're absolutely right. You know, we, we can we can discuss numbers and statistics, but ultimately these are these are people's lives and, and families and 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 of course. Beyond deaths, you know, there's lots of uh, impacts of the pandemic as well. Um, so this is in no way trying to, you know, turn this into an accounting exercise. I think everybody involved fully appreciates the sensitivities involved and just and, and just the human impact of what's involved. But I think that this is their way of, of trying to to help people come to terms with that. You know, only once really you have a, a reliable sense of what happened can you start to question and say, well what should have been done differently or what the impacts would have been if we'd done things differently or or how much we needed to do things differently. And I think when you look at the the numbers that are coming out, I don't think anybody would argue that we shouldn't have done things differently. Absolutely. And as you alluded to, you know, deaths, as we've mentioned on Coronapod many times, deaths is only one way of, of measuring impact. We've talked about dallies and qualies, these other metrics that exist to try to work out other ways that COVID can impact people through long term disability, for example. And that's an entirely separate conversation, which also will need to be had to work out the true, the true toll of this pandemic. But for now, I think let's leave it there. Let's try to keep powering forward. This is not the end of the pandemic. There is still more data to be gathered. And hopefully models like this and studies like this looking at excess deaths can help us make sense of, of what it is that we're seeing and what is continuing to happen. David, thank you so much. Thanks, Noah. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.